Welcome to Open Minds UFO Radio. I'm your host, Alejandro Rojas, and I have our news dude, uh, Martin. I'm going to use it again, uh, Jet Set and Willis, because he's out there in a, a different Eastern European country this week, right? I am, yeah. It's, it's asked me if I was making a world tour. No, not exactly. No, in Russia last week and in uh, Austria, Vienna, Austria, um, just arrived. So I'm in a little little flat and um, can't wait to check out the city tomorrow. Yeah, a lot of fun. So we'll get into some UFO news. For those of you who are new, see, I've been posting the show on YouTube. And some people are like, they don't even start talking about UFOs for a few minutes. It's true. But, you know, Martin and I like to talk about our lives for a minute because we're the hosts. And, and I think uh, and, and our listeners have expressed that they're interested in our lives. And, and it's very interesting that you're in Vienna. So we're going to talk about that just for a minute. If you want to fast forward the video, that's fine. <laughs> that's totally the, but we got to talk about it because I was in Hungary not too long ago, of course, for that National Geographic Mars thing. And I heard people were saying because... Hungary's fun. I mean, it's for kids, mostly 20-somethings, and there's lots of rundown. They even have uh, places, they have these things called ruin bars, where it's like in uh, these ruins. I mean, literally, these are like townhomes or something that are just like, you know, just old and falling apart or something, but they they use it to, to put a bar in it, so it's lots of fun and stuff. But I heard Vienna is like Budapest, but nicer like everything's clean and and kept up and restored well everything is so far everything is beautiful i will tell you though there is major graffiti here really yeah all these beautiful buildings unfortunately i noticed uh, now maybe just the part of town that i came in in the taxi i'm not sure but uh these beautiful buildings have graffiti all over them it's really a shame Oh, that is too bad. Uh, there, of yeah. course, is a lot of that in Budapest, but it, like I said, it, there's for the most part, there's lots of older stuff that's kind of not as well kept. Now, there are parts of the neighborhoods and stuff that are really nice. It's still all nice. It's all fun and amazing, but uh, that's interesting to hear. And, and next week, I guess, when you have more time, because did you just get there? Just got here a couple of hours ago, but I, didn't, I did go into a restaurant. The people were very friendly, English that was uh, that was nice yeah um, to be able to actually communicate with someone because in Russia um, the place that I was in Russia um, nobody speaks English at all so ah. and I know five words in Russian you know not too much <laughs> so it's tough but here it's um, I think it's going to be a lot better it's going to be a lot of fun uh huh cool cool well I think that's fun too because it's fun that you and I get to do some traveling and so the listeners get to kind of live vicariously through us a bit I know I love to do that through you it's exciting to hear that you're you know somewhere else 
Yeah, you do get to travel a lot. Um, I'm often envious of you. And uh, tomorrow I'm going to be doing my show, if you don't mind, to do a little quick plug. Is, uh, well, I had Jeremy Corbell on for the first part of the show. But nice. the second part is with Eduardo Lobo, and he made you a wonderful comic cover. Yes. Um, yeah, he made me uh, one as well. And uh, so he's been... He was really into the UFO topic, so he's going to be on part of my show right here in the studio. He lives in Vienna, so he's coming in on the studio, I should say, the flat. He's coming in. We're going to do a show together, and he's been um, you know, been looking at uh, Austrian UFOs forever, so we're going to be talking about that, which will be exciting. I'm glad to be able to do that. That is so cool. That is really exciting. And for people who are watching on YouTube, right below the video is uh, are some T-shirts, uh, and you can see there, and, and some of those T-shirts are uh, the poster that Ed, what that he created. Um, oh, Edu, is that how you say his name? Well, he just he always Eduardo, the easiest oh, way to call him. Eduardo. Okay, yeah. so yeah, he yeah. created that poster, which is super cool. I love it. You can get stickers or, or what have you um, also of the poster. So check that out below the video. If you're listening, uh, you'll have to go to openminds.tv and click on that uh, link, that big T-shirt link. Uh, and you'll be able to take a look and, and get a poster T-shirt. I think people have already gotten some and uh, they love him because, yeah, he's a great artist. So that is so exciting that you get to meet him. Definitely tell him hello. And, uh, I sure that- will. I, yeah. along with you, and I think Ryan Sprague, he made one for it, too. We're all That's so grateful for his excellent work. I know. It's amazing. They look so authentic. You know, like in a, such an... Yeah. They look like uh, comic, comic book posters. Book. Yeah. yeah. So great. cool. He's very talented. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I used mine. You did, too. We used them all over the place and he was so flattered he's like oh i'm glad you love it thank you for using it here and there and it's like are you kidding that's awesome (laughs) um okay so i guess i guess i'll talk about my guest and then we'll get into ufo news the guest for the today is david marler best known for his book on triangular ufos but he is an excellent absolutely fabulous researcher um if he talks about any case you know he's done some very thorough and original research on it and that's essentially what we're talking about here is one that we're both going to be at this uh um devil's tower ufo event the ufo rendezvous that is mm-hmm. september 13th through the 15th uh we'll be speaking there he and i i think are the only two with two talks each but we also talked about our methods of, you know, really deep diving into these cases to investigate them and bring out information that people haven't heard before. Uh, so he and I talk about why that's important, the importance of credibility uh, when it comes to researching the UFO field. So I loved it. It was a wonderful conversation. It, these conversations, you, they feel like they go by in a couple minutes, especially conversations like this. But this is one of them where I felt like, I often feel like this, but, you know, I felt I, I walked away really learning something and being charged up uh, about this field. Great. Well, you know, David has a way of doing everything you just said. First of all, the last time I talked to him, he was on just an hour by himself, and then I had Lee and, and uh, James uh, uh, Fox on. Uh, but, I mean, that went by, like you said, so fast. Um, yeah. He's definitely top shelf. Mm-hmm. I love David Marley's awesome. 
Yep, he's great. So look, looking forward to listening. Yes, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and then one more thing before we're done. I, I, I've got a Patreon account up now, and I link to it, of course, in the show notes and then the YouTube video notes. And I've, I want to say a quick shout-out to my new Patreon followers. So thank you so much to Andrew Ross, to James, to Joseph Hallett, who was one of my very first. I think he was the second, but the first, you know, I have these levels. I have Patreon crew which is the first level. It's only like a buck, you know, the lowest one, which is fine. Oh, my gosh. I love those people who, who are at that level. Uh, but Joseph, he, like, joined at the top level, so he rocks. Thank you so much. And then um, let's see who else I got. I got Ryan, and that is Ryan Sprague. We we uh, patron each other. And then um, <laughs> Amy Brooks is my new one. So thank you so much to Amy and Ryan and Joseph and James and all of you uh, for following me. And uh, it really helps out because, as you know, Martin, you know, this is expensive. <laughs> we got to buy equipment. Um, we have to travel to parts unknown uh, just to interview the people who, who we want to meet. Just kidding. Of course, we're traveling for other reasons <laughs> as well. But uh, it really helps us out so we can keep going because I know, you know, I'm – sporadic at least have been on the past with material getting material out and i've refocused in the last couple of months and regularly getting a show and my new youtube live uh show rolling uh, and on a regular basis i'm going to be doing new and better videos uh probably some sponsored videos too i'm seeking sponsors and i got some sponsorships here in the wings but uh so we could keep providing Great. content because it's a lot of fun yeah, yeah. I know uh, it, it's not like, um, you know, you always hear people say, oh, they do this for money or whatever. I know you do this for money. I don't do it for money. My show was costing me money. And uh, <laughs> so it's, I'm grateful for my supporters as well. So, I mean, yeah, um, because it it does, you know, we, we do put a lot of time and effort in it. But that aside, you know, it, it's it's good to have support. It really, yep. really is very helpful. And right. so someone can find Patreon link on your web where is yeah. where they find it'll it. It'll be in my show notes at openminds.tv, um, on my description, all over the place. The link's all over the place. Or you just look up Alejandro <laughs> Rojas at Patreon. So uh, Plus, you could get all my material there. So all the different stuff I put there. So it's a good place to get everything that I'm doing um, also. So uh, check it out. So, all right. Uh, let's get into some UFO news, my friend. What you got for us? All right. On the BigThink.com uh, website, uh, a story by Paul Ratner is, We live in a zombie galaxy that died and came back to life, claims to study. Just the title I was sold on as soon as I saw the title. You know what? And, I haven't uh, read this. I saw that title. I thought it was really cool, too. I didn't know what the heck they were talking about. So I'm really interested to hear about this. Well, basically, um, we live inside a galaxy, uh, a galaxy-wide zombie. Now, this is uh, according to a fascinating new study. Galaxy, the Milky Way, um, has apparently had quite an eventful life, dying once before. Hmm. This is according to calculations by the Japanese astronomer Masufumi Noguchi of Tokyo University. University. I didn't mess up his name. Too bad. Oh, I'm sure you said it perfectly. (laughs) Noguchi looked at the history of the Milky Way over a period of 10 billion years. He didn't physically look at it for 10 billion years. You know what I'm saying. And uh, he wanted to explain the mystery 
of why the stars in the Milky Way can be split into those that are rich in the alpha element, oxygen, silicon, magnesium, and those that are overflowing with iron. The astronomer created a model that shows the existence of two separate periods of star formation. The model, the model utilizes the theory of cold flow excretion uh, proposed in 2006 by Avicia Dec and his colleagues from the Hebrew University. Also central to the model of the facts and the chemical position of stars can tell about the gases that formed in stars is essential to memorize the amount of elements at the time they were being created. That makes total sense. So Noguchi showed that during the first period of formation, streams of cold gas came into the galaxy from the outside, leading to the creation of the first stars. Fast forward a few million years, and some of these stars exploded as supernovas, creating a large number of alpha elements. These, in turn, made their way in gas and got incorporated into other stars. But around 7 billion years ago, shockwaves heated the gas so much that its flow into our galaxy stopped. This also ceased star formation process for the next 2 billion years. So this dormant period was notable for a long-lived star explosion, which pumped iron into gas, changing its composition. And about 5 billion years ago, the gas cooled enough and a second generation of stars started to form, and that includes our sun. Uh, this new crop of celestial objects was also much richer in iron. Hmm. So this is all really quite, you know, goes on. It's a great article. Yeah. I suggest anyone can check it out. But it goes on to, uh, you know, basically get more into the details of it. Yeah, I think we got a lot of details with that. some of the iron and, and the gases and, and stuff like that. But uh, iron's good for, for building bones, too. It's important for human That's beings. right. I know Very there's a interesting. That's really there's fun. A great saying. What's that? It's a great saying that um, Carl Sagan had this great saying. Mm. Like something like the universe had to happen in order to have all the ingredients in, of an apple pie or something like that. Did you ever hear that one? Oh, that's funny. No, I didn't, but that's interesting. Yeah. That's a good comment. I like it. <laughs> Sagan's pretty pretty cool dude so yeah, right. um all right yeah interesting so we're living in a zombie galaxy what else you got <laughs> uh that's it for right now <laughs> okay um a couple things that i would like to mention um are uh these extraterrestrial posters so i wrote about this and oh yeah these are a lot of fun and, and it's surprising that they did this, and they're kind of doing it on the down low. So uh, Orbit created this extraterrestrial tourism page, and on it they put up a bunch of posters. So you may remember not too long ago, well, actually it was now, maybe two or three years ago, NASA created these fun uh, space tourism posters about the future and how we'll visit different planets, and they were awesome, and people downloaded them and hung them up. I've done so myself, actually. They're really cool. So Orbit has kind of done the same thing. They've created these posters, and you can go and download these posters, and they're really cool. So I've got a story on Den of Geek. I've also got at OpenMinds.tv a story. And actually, this is a bit of an exclusive for us because Open uh, Orbit's got a hold of me and asked me if we wanted to write about these. And I said, heck, yeah, these are awesome. So uh, mm. I've created this, uh, uh, you know, these stories so people could check it out. But these things span 
from like ancient Egypt up to the current day. The, so they've got a lot of ancient aliens type of stuff in here. But these posters are really cool. You can print them up and hang them up. Uh, they're really neat. Here's what the website reads. It says, We are not alone. Reports of UFO sightings and encounters of the first, second, and third kind date back to ancient Egypt and continue throughout the course of history. The truth is out there. That's the new term. Like, the truth is out there. Everybody's using that. Um, at least in the mainstream, you know. And I think, uh, of course, it's from the X-Files, but uh, John Podesta, who ran... Hillary Clinton's campaign used it a lot, too, and I think that's really helped it get out there. So these are super, super cool. Have you seen those? I did. I I actually shared your article on Ah. uh, on the Facebook page. Yeah, they're really great graphics. Yeah, they're so cool. It's really neat that they did it. Um, I I think it's cool. And it's funny because I've posted stuff about it, but um, they haven't really been pushing it. You know, that if you go to their front page or web page, they haven't really pushed it there. I, I think they kind of did it for fun and then hoped uh, the community would pick up. I don't know who else they approached, but um, I haven't seen anybody else really writing about it. So uh, mm. and they're super cool. So it's kind of an open minds exclusive. That's neat. I just All right. thought of that. Wow. Uh-huh. Otherwise, Hunt for the Skinwalker, of course, is coming up. You're going to have Jeremy on your show tomorrow. Uh, yeah. I will have some exclusive interviews with Jeremy coming up as well in relation to the premiere. But a different writer at Den of Geek wrote a story on that so people can watch it. But um, we're also going to mm. have it in our magazine. I wrote a longer piece for the magazine that's going to uh, really get in-depth into some of the secrets that Jeremy uh, is going to be revealing, which is that the government, you know, had a hand in the investigation of the Skinwalker Ranch, something we did not d- know and which wasn't in the book for a Skinwalker Ranch because it couldn't because it was a, yeah. a secret thing. So we'll learn more about that in his movie. Um uh, unfortunately, you know, some of you may get upset, but it is the way it is. The San Diego had uh, a UFO sighting, made a bunch of news. It was flares. It was flares. I mean, <laughs> I saw it, and I'm like, that's flares. A lot of people are like, no, it's not flares. Well, uh, if you go to the Open Mind UFO group, of course, there was a heated debate about it. But uh, many of us did wow. post pictures of flares, including me. I've got video of flares. And you know what, guys? It's flares. <laughs> I have oh, another I can- one, though. Go ahead. Oh, just just on the on the subject of flares, I totally get why someone um, can first think if they're actually experiencing it. I do too. It, it's kind of like Chinese lanterns. You I know, was the first fooled time too. I saw them, exactly. Like, wow. Yeah. Me too. Exactly. Uh, both on both points. The first time you see either of these phenomena, it's like whoa. When I first saw videos of the flares i thought there's no way those are flares because they're hanging in the air they don't look like they're falling Mm -hmm. there's no um smoke and people were taking these videos from phoenix which is like 80 miles away from where these flares are allegedly dropped but when i moved out here sure enough i not only confirmed it with uh the military there uh, on several occasions, but I just w- witnessed it on a regular basis. Um, and it's amazing. They're so bright and they mm-hmm. fall so incredibly slowly that when you're very far away, it looks like they're standing still. It doesn't look like they're flickering. You don't see any smoke. It's just one bright light. And they're dropped by jets that have their lights off. They're just using their IR lights. 
um, so they can't be seen. Mm. So, yeah, I could see how people would be fooled. I was too, but, uh, you know, take it from those of us who have a lot of experience with this. Unfortunately, those were flares for better or worse. I think one of the reasons they look like they're not going anywhere is just what you said. You can see them from so far away that um, that distance makes them look like they're moving. If they are moving at all, it's very, very slowly. Yeah. So I want to mention a couple more. One of them I'm just going to mention lightly because we've talked about this before, but uh, more news about that uh, lady in Florida who was running for uh, Congress uh, who has, uh, you know, in this Spanish television news program, she talked about how she was abducted by aliens when she was a kid and she's uh, that was drudged up, you know, even though it was in Spanish. So now everybody's always asking her about it. She stands by it. And she says, look, this was what I experienced, but that doesn't shape who I am, um, even though I feel like this is what happened. So there's more news about that out there. But I want to ask you about this one because this one's making some news out there, and this is pretty fun. Um, This gentleman in Argentina. So people saw on Google Earth this weird shape, this kind of star-like shape out in the desert in Argentina. And so the news, you know, went to go check it out. Sure enough, there's this circular thing. People thought, what is that, a UFO landing pad? Well, they interviewed the person who put it up on his property, and he said, yeah, that's exactly what it is, a UFO landing pad. The aliens uh, talked to me and uh, told me to build its landing pad, so I did, and hopefully one day they're going to come land here. So really interesting, funny story, uh, and it's funny that, you know, many times when people spot something weird on Google Space, it has nothing to do with UFOs and aliens, but this one actually is <laughs> an alien landing pad. Have you seen that? No, I haven't. I was just looking for um, It's kind of maybe like Noah, you know, Noah is building the ark. Is that what they're doing? Oh, right, right, yeah. Yeah, wow, amazing. Yeah, build it, and they no, will come. No, I have come. to check it up. It's really <laughs> no, cool. Mm-hmm. No, no, you're right. You you do get a lot of people that'll send you stuff from Google Earth and um, other Google Maps and all that stuff. You know that yeah. a lot of times, like lens flares and stuff like that. But some of them right. are like pretty interesting looking. Yeah, sometimes they are, and people get frustrated because you're like, "Ooh, I don't know what this is." And and when it, if it's really mysterious, I'll try to post it and get some feedback. Um, especially for Mark D'Antonio. And, and I, I've done that for people, too, who are like, what is this? And I, I will tell them, here's what I think, but I'll see if I could get other input as well. But, yeah, mm-hmm. this one's fun because it's a really pretty shape. Of course, if you go to openminds.tv, you're going to see this in the UFO headline. So do that, though, in the next couple of days um, because I'll be changing those headlines um, tomorrow because I always update those before my UFO live program, which is Tuesday evenings at 6 p.m. Pacific uh, on the Open Minds uh, live or YouTube page. But um, you can always see those headlines. I think this is one of the coolest resources we have. If you go to articles and you go to daily UFO headlines, you're going to see all of the headlines that we've been sharing with people going back for years. So I think it's a great Mm -hmm. resource that you can just go to this page and like on the front page, you go all the way from um, now back to uh, like April. So, and uh, all of these, these headlines you could see. And it's amazing, you know, like my UFO live is mostly about UFO news and there's, there's a lot of UFO news on a weekly basis. 
Well, you know, when we do the once a year, you know, year in review. Mm-hmm. Um, I I tend to use your website in that very way you're talking about, and go back through the year and and see what uh, not just the stories that you've written about, but um, all the headlines. It's a very good resource. Yep, that's exactly what I do. Thank you very much for for saying that as well. But uh, we are about out of time. Let's see if there's one I more. Jupiter may have water. That's what they were looking at, but it's a may. Yeah. The other one is the Luis Elizondo video uh, from his symposium talk was posted by To The Stars. So go check that out. That's really cool. But we're pretty much out of time, Martin. I see that. Well, thank you, Martin. <laughs> check him out at Podcast UFO. Otherwise, let's go ahead. Do you want to say a last goodbye there? Goodbye, everybody. (laughs) Let's go ahead and listen to David Marler uh, right after this short break. I'm super duper happy to welcome back to the show my good friend David Marler. Hello, Mr. Marler. How are you doing, Alejandro? Good, good. This is fun, too, because I can see you. You can't see me. I don't have the camera I was going to say, I wasn't sure if we were doing video or audio, so there you go. <laughs> yeah, we're going to do strictly audio, but I like seeing you. It's fun, um, and it's even more kind of fun that you can't see me. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, we were just talking about we're doing this in the morning, and uh, this may be my first interview uh, without coffee, having had coffee, because I just got up and we're doing this, and uh, so we'll see how it goes. (laughs) But for – okay, we've already talked about what you do, but what's exciting is that you and I will be together with uh, some of our friends and fellow researchers in Wyoming here soon. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Mm Mm-hmm. And you, like me, so you probably feel how I felt last year, because I am, Close Encounters is everything to me. I mean, uh, it's just, there's so many connections and different things and thoughts. I I love Close Encounters. And so my first visit to the tower, and just so you know, it was everything I had hoped. I mean, this thing (laughs) is so great, so cool. Uh, you're, You're feeling pretty excited about it, huh? I'm very excited. In fact, I was just remarking to a friend the other day. I said, when I was 10 years old and went to the theatrical release of Close Encounters, I never would have thought, fast forward 40 years, and I would not only be going to Devil's Tower, but going to Devil's Tower to lecture as a UFO researcher. If you would go back and tell that (laughs) 10-year-old boy that, I would not believe you. You know what's funny? I would have... uh I would have been like, cool, if I was that 10-year-old. That'll be awesome. And then when I got into college and first really uh, was a journalism major and heard about UFOs, I was like, this stuff's kind of goofy. So <laughs> it's kind of funny. If you would have told me that in college, I would have said, yeah, right. Where I well, would have thought, you, what a failure I'm going to turn out to be. <laughs> I, well, I was going to say, for you and some of your audience that have been around for a while, as well as myself, there is a lot of craziness in this field, as oh, we all yeah. know. But not at this event at the watch at the uh, Devil's Tower. I think the lineup is great. Of course, they're going to have Lee Spiegel. They're bringing out from New York our good buddy Mark D'Antonio, who's always awesome. My girlfriend Karen is going to do her first talk. 
which I'm looking forward to attending, actually. Yeah, that's going to be fun. It's going to be on a very, you know, uh, uh, like abduction cases, mass abduction cases mostly, but good ones, credible ones. Absolutely. And what's fun about this event, event, it's so small, it's so intimate. You know, we all get to see each other's talks, which is really rare at events and always fun. Exactly. And uh, I, you know... I, I learn as much from you as hopefully you learn from me in, in these oh, lectures. Yeah. And uh, like you said, having that intimate environment, not only for the researchers, but uh, as you were alluding to before we uh, we started the interview, um, it's a very small audience, relatively speaking, compared mm-hmm. to what we're maybe used to in some of the larger venues, which affords you the opportunity to actually interact both before and after your lectures with the, every audience member, which sometimes you don't have that luxury. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, when it comes to close encounters, what does close encounters mean to you? It means several things, actually. Uh, first off, let me just say, as far as movie making goes, I think it's an absolute gem. Um, I didn't really appreciate the movie as fully when I was younger watching it until after I got involved in UFO research. And I think you'll agree with your experience in this field, your diverse experience, the character of Richard Dreyfus exemplifies real UFO witnesses that you and I have interviewed over the years, where they never gave a thought to UFOs, and suddenly they're confronted with something completely outside their reality. And it's, it's a paradigm shift. It completely pulls the carpet out from under their concept of what reality is. And you see that play out in the characters of Richard Dreyfus and Terry Garr, where Terry did not experience this sighting that Richard Dreyfus had that that close encounter, and so she could not either. She could try to sympathize, but she couldn't empathize with the character of Richard Dreyfus. And I've interviewed men and women who have told me I, what I'm telling you. I have never told my wife, or what I'm telling you, I've never told my husband, because I know he or she couldn't understand what I'm dealing with or what I'm going through. And it really typifies the fact that these these True close encounters, not the distant lights high up in the sky, but true close encounter cases using the definition that Heineck coined. It really is a life changing moment. Uh, I would almost say it borders on the spiritual to some extent because suddenly their reality is opened up to a larger, grander reality. And as you and I have known, many people in this field, the reason they're here is because they had an experience or a sighting themselves. So the movie, although it's fiction, really uh, demonstrates the emotional, the human impact that these sightings sometimes have. I think you're exactly right. And you know what's interesting about that movie, too, is the more I've gotten into this arena, because even though, like I said, when I was a journalism major in college at the beginning, I was like really skeptical of, of the whole arena. Mm-hmm. As you look into it more and more, the movie, uh, I've always been extremely excited about the movie, but it becomes more and more important because, like you said, it really fits our experiences and the experiences of the people who are having these encounters. Um, it, and sometimes I think as a researcher, I, I would probably say collectively we all are guilty of this, uh, not in an intentional way by any means, but my, myself, sometimes we get up and we do our lectures and we talk about dates, places, it persons, but sometimes in in the course of that, we we lose sight of the fact that there is that emotional component 
There, I mean, mm. these events in many cases are life changing. I mean, we've talked to to people that have had sightings decades ago, but they can close their eyes and the goosebumps still come up on their arm when they relive and remember this. In fact, um, just to bring it to a personal note, uh, my sister, uh, who had a close encounter in 1977 outside Kansas City, Missouri, which I wrote about in my book, um, she was at Open Minds with me uh, a few years back, and uh, she's actually coming out to Devil's Tower this year as well. And it was her sighting in 77 uh, in addition to a number of other things that got me interested in the subject, uh, I didn't have a UFO sighting, but hearing about hers year after year and the emotion that that evoked with her and her husband, um, and only probably until about 10 or 12 years ago did her husband even openly talk about it because he didn't like anything paranormal. You talk about ghosts, UFOs, he would walk out of the room back oh, in geez. the 80s. But after the sighting, he especially didn't want to talk about it. And so... Hmm. He was terrified of the paranormal, and when this event happened, you can only imagine his reaction to it. Um, but it was a very personal experience, and I've witnessed it firsthand over the years with her. And to this day, I've physically been sitting there with her talking about it, and I'll see like goosebumps still come up on her arm when she starts to think about it. And so just to kind of underscore the emotional impact that these, these close encounters, again, not the distance sighting so much, but the true close encounter cases where – as in her case, much like Richard Dreyfus in the movie Close Encounters, there was something directly over their car with a spotlight shining down on the vehicle and the surrounding area that illuminated buildings and bushes and trees around them. And this was in the middle of the night. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's amazing. And uh, I, I don't think that we as researchers can ever truly convey the emotional impact that these, these close encounters have on these individuals. You know, you made me think of something and, and something especially more fringe for you and I, you and I are more hard researchers. We like the data and the information. Um, but in the movie, it alludes to the, what you're talking about, but almost alludes to that being purposeful. Like this mm. compulsion is comes from something that's seeded into these people. Correct. But like you said, th when they have these uh, events, they're they're affected. And there's many people, not myself, because I didn't have a signing till I was into this for a long time. And I don't know. Have you had one? I've seen anomalous lights, but they were fleeting. They were brief. They were uh -huh. distant. I, I, you know, if you want to call that a UFO, I guess you can. But for me to say I truly saw a UFO, I need to see a little bit more mm -hmm. detail than just the little points of light that I've seen making unusual erratic maneuvers in the mm -hmm. sky. But not, nothing but, I would really hang my hat on. Right. But a lot of people that we meet and come to our lectures, the reason they're there is because they did have an experience like that. And, Absolutely. you know, you can even think of some people like Robert Bigelow. I mean, mm -hmm. his whole motivation is kind of like a Drif Dreyfus character is based off of this event that happened as, as a kid. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, going back through uh, the, the annals of UFO history, even, I mean, uh, Clyde Tombaugh, the famous astronomer, mm. had a sighting. Uh, many of these individuals have had uh, very dramatic sightings over the years, and that's what ge you know generated their interest in the subject. It's not just simply reading about something, or I hate to use the term, it's bandered about so much, believing in UFOs. It's people have had real-world life experiences firsthand. Mm -hmm. And uh, once I you've had that, that experiential uh, effect on your life, it, it, like I said, it leaves an indelible impression. 
Mm-hmm. And Tom Bow is part of the, the Life magazine article in the early 50s that really helped keep the Air Force into UFO investigating. Absolutely. Absolutely. Some of the early research is fascinating and some of the sightings that some of these individuals have had. Uh, and of course, you know, presidents uh, as well uh, over the years. I mean, just and that's what's interesting about the UFO subject. It, it's non-discriminatory. <laughs> it affects all ages, all races, all religious denominations. It really cuts through all the demographics. I mean, it, it impacts every aspect of life as far as individuals go. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it really doesn't discriminate. You know, um, it, it makes me think of another aspect, too, uh, that movie, which kind of is a real punch in the, the stomach to me. And I think to you, UFO people in general uh, in this field and, and this frustration, which is at the end of the movie. And first, this was like an important thought to me when uh, and it's something I, I actually reflect upon regularly in this field. At the end of the movie, uh, the uh, the woman who's son was taken they're in there and they're, she's taking pictures of the aliens mm-hmm. and i thought if that happened because we've had this you know as mufon investigators you we've both done that if right. she would have brought those pictures to us even if we believe them if she convinced us there's practically nothing we could do with them because nobody's gonna believe it no absolutely they're exactly and uh that's that's what's interesting. I mean, we have this elusive term that we banter about called proof. Mm-hmm. And proof is a very nebulous, very subjective term. Uh, and we often talk about this regarding the UFO subject as a whole when we discuss uh, proof. Well, proof in a court of law is one thing. Proof in the court of public opinion is another. And then we have proof within the scientific community. And so there's different thresholds of you know, requirements to meet with regard to each one of those different types of you know, quote unquote, proof that you're dealing with. Um, I think in general, the court of public opinion, based on at least some of the the latest polls, I mean, at least half, if not more than half of the general public with, in most countries, accept that there are UFOs. What they are, that's a whole different subject we can get into. But so the court of public opinion, I think, you know, we've got our foot in the door there and people are pretty well educated on the subject as far as that there are reports that still persist that continue and there's a small subset of that larger body that tend to defy explanation. Then we get into the court of law and I think Stanton Friedman and maybe yourself and others have talked about the fact that in a court of law, we could really put together a compelling argument. And I would agree with that as well. Uh, but then we get into the court uh, of, uh, of uh, public opinion and then we get into the court of law, but then we get into the, the framework of the traditional scientist and the scientific model. And in my book, I talk about this. The traditional scientific model does not apply to UFOs because if, and I underscore that 16 times, if we are truly dealing with an intelligence that is non-terrestrial, that is advanced, say hundreds, thousands of years, um, how are we going to subject that to the scientific model? How do we put that into a controlled lab environment? How do we try to eliminate all the external variables? And how do we try to manipulate that subject of our study? Um, The scientific model, when you think about it, is predicated on the idea that we can control all the variables. And if we're dealing with something that's a little bit higher on the technological food chain, if you will, it really doesn't apply or conform to the scientific model because we can't control it. It's above our technology. It's beyond 
our ability to manipulate and monitor it. Rather, they're probably monitoring us. Yeah, what you uh, just went over is probably one of my favorite moments on any of my podcasts because and that's why I love uh, you and your work and your frame of uh, your the way you're thinking so much because exactly you can't you know throw around these terms of proof uh, and evidence without understanding these different thresholds and even though like you say uh, it this field is elusive when it comes to the scientific um, court of, of what is proof and evidence. Uh, we still need to pursue it, but what's different is, you know, when you get into, let's say, dark matter, that right. is kind of a similar area where we don't have control over all of the variables, but right. there's a lot of uh, kind of stuff pointing to it, and and uh, so scientists have adopted this idea of dark dark matter but it's not proven we no. we have not been able to and it's the same thing with kind of this phenomena in that uh there's enough out there at least for people like you and i to demonstrate there's a genuine mystery here right um but when we may reach you know any sort of scientific evidence um right. that's that's more difficult to to know and well it and you, and you bring up a good point, and I'm glad, glad you mentioned that because I completely agree. What I just said does not mean we should abandon science, right. shouldn't abandon the scientific method. But all I'm simply stating is that we may be uh, – our scientific model may not be strong enough to study this phenomenon. But I think we should pursue it because certainly in every other discipline, it makes sense to follow the traditional scientific model. Um, but – Unfortunately, there's so much signal-to-noise ratio that we're dealing with. There's so much misinformation, disinformation out there. And, you know, our studies, our research are only as good as the data that we analyze. And so we as researchers, and I know, I know you and I are on the same page with this, we are very meticulous. We are very careful about vetting the information that we look at, that we analyze, that we put into that collective body of information that we're studying. Unfortunately, some colleagues in the field are not as meticulous and judicious as we are. Um, but I think that's where you and I and other researchers, like the researchers that are going to be at Devil's Tower this year, uh, I think we all share that in the sense that we're going to try to make up for the shortcomings of other researchers <laughs> by truly trying to be objective and be meticulous and try to truly vet the information properly. Uh, because when we get up as UFO researchers and make statements or make tentative conclusions or suppositions, our arguments are only as strong as the weakest link. And so as researchers, we need to be careful about the information that we present. And I, I know you and I are completely on the same page with regard to that. Yeah, I, You know, the framework that you just set out also uh, makes me kind of reflect upon it and uh, I, I think one of the reasons we're kind of stuck also is that we've actually gained a lot of ground like you, the numbers that you use when it comes to public opinion we've kind of crossed that hurdle and, and the public opinion has I think become you know on the side that there's a real mystery uh, so we then move into kind of the court case and we've actually at this point won the court case I, I mean agree. There's enough of that sort of evidence, circumstantial evidence, credible 
expert witnesses, and, and this is something people need to understand, anecdotal information by itself is not enough, even in a court of law. You need right. expert opinion. But we right. do have expert opinion now. Expert uh, opinion. We have multiple ground-based, air-based radar confirmation of these sightings, as you know, uh, photographic and video evidence, which in some cases has been analyzed fairly well, although the, the vast majority is just out there floating around on the internet and YouTube and uh, I always like to call that more entertainment than evidence. Uh, <laughs> I always have people coming up to me saying, Which is have, you true. Seen, have you seen the latest YouTube video? And I told them, I said, I work full time and I do UFOs full time on the side. I said, I work <laughs> two full time jobs. I, it would be a full time job just to watch every latest UFO video posted on YouTube. I said, I, I don't have time for that. And again, getting back to what we were discussing, it's very hard to chase down where those videos originate from, who actually shot the video and under what circumstances. So uh, I've never really made that a focus of, of my research. And uh, even with some of the cases I've analyzed where there's photo evidence, um, I don't profess to be a photo analyst, uh, but I would certainly enlist the aid of anyone that does have expertise in those areas. Mm -hmm. uh, they'd be willing to donate their time pro bono to looking at some of the photo and video evidence associated with some of these cases. Yeah. And um, so the next step is the scientific. And I have some questions around that for you also. And uh, but this could be an area that we're st we're in for a long time using getting back to the dark matter, dark matter. The 70s is when I think it, people started talking about it early 80s is when scientists kind of adopted it, but they still haven't proven it. And so we may be in a situation for quite some time where we can't prove it. But in this case, we're dealing with a potential sophisticated intelligence, and I don't know, I don't feel that it is much of a leap, even though SETI scientists do, that if these intelligence exists, they're capable of denying that sort of evidence. Mm -hmm. No, I, I agree. It, it, it's an interesting um, dynamic when you deal with the, the SETI researchers. Uh, Obviously, their whole existence is predicated on the notion that there must be life out there. But because we can't get out there, an advanced intelligence can't travel here. And what's interesting about that argument, and it, it, it goes back to what you were just saying a moment ago about, you know, dark matter and how scientists are still studying this and trying to understand it. The SETI arguments and really all the traditional scientific arguments that both you and I and collectively the UFO community have heard over the years is based on the extraterrestrial hypothesis, namely one star system, one race of beings on some planet in a distant star traveling light years to get here. And then they go into the traditional argument, which you and I have, her have heard ad infinitum ad nauseum about, well, the distances required and the time involved and the lifespan of the entities and the, the fuel requirements would exceed the capability of a spacecraft, yada, yada, yada. I think a lot of your audience have heard these arguments time mm -hmm. and time again. But the one thing we have to take a step back and realize is the extraterrestrial hypothesis is just one of many hypotheses. And talking about dark matter and talking about science and, and looking forward, I find it interesting going through my research files, going through magazines and uh, newsletter articles back from the late 50s into the early mid 60s. You have UFO researchers or enthusiasts that talk or reference the fact maybe these things are maybe dimensional in nature. Maybe they're not extraterrestrial. In other words, coming from another star system. 
And you would see skeptics from the time and you would see mainstream scientists poking fun at UFO researchers saying, well, there you go. There's the folly of UFO research and researchers. They're off in the land of speculation and science fiction. Well, for anyone that's read Michio Kaku's works or for anyone that has really kept up to speed on where astrophysics is now going, you can almost talk to any astrophysicist and they're willing to concede that multiple dimensions of reality more than likely exist. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's it's as if science is catching up with UFOs. Right. Uh, we've got to go to break, actually. But on that point, I have been talking with some uh, more credible science-minded people. Uh, and behind the scenes, they're not willing to be public about their discussions. Sure. But... Now that there is more credibility brought to the to the potential existence of this phenomena, they're more willing to speculate in that vein that perhaps right. it's a multidimensional sort of issue um, because multidimensional science is a thing. So it's interesting that I think that's where they're going to be going if they come out of the gate soon, uh, you know, to talk about this mystery. But we do have to go to a break we're talking with david marler you're listening to open mind gfo radio and for those of you listening to the podcast you'll hear a short musical interlude for the rest of you you'll hear some commercials on kgra radio so please you know stick around listen to those and uh patronize some of these people because they help keep kgra running and i'm sure if you're listening on kgra you love their their music or their they're shows. They don't do music. Hopefully they love the music in my break here. But I'm rambling because I didn't have coffee this morning. Let's go ahead and go to break. We'll be right back with David Marler. You're listening to Open Mind UFO Radio. I'm your host, Alejandro Rojas, and we are here with David Marler having an absolutely fascinating discussion. I was already excited for Wyoming coming up here. Now I'm even doubly excited. But we were talking about how, you know, uh, these different courts of of proof and evidence, and we've kind of got the public, we've got the uh, court case. Next is a scientific case. And for any, you know, people we've been talking about this in the last couple of shows is this To the Stars Academy and them creating this Adam project where they want to examine uh, UFO materials, potential allegedly materials. But, you know, as much criticism as people may have out there of the group and, and what's going on, um, this them putting together this Adam project actually put takes us one step closer to scientific evidence at least now we have a mechanism for it what are your thoughts on this new project Uh, i i am for anyone that wants to invest time or their treasury into examining this subject and um, you know even with the ufo conferences that you and i uh, speak at alejandro 
I encourage people, if you're interested in the subject, join MUFON, go and do investigations on your own, donate money to researchers that you believe are credible, but participate on some level. Uh, I mean, the UFO subject uh, or UFO research community within the UFO subject has always, as you know, been a grassroots movement. Uh, mm -hmm. It's individuals from all walks of life that have full-time jobs during the day, but feel in their heart of hearts that this subject needs to be investigated. So, um, you know, to the Stars Academy, I, I, I endorse them. I, 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 I congratulate them for investing time and effort into trying to understand this mystery. Anyone that truly takes an objective scientific approach towards the subject, I, I'm all for uh, I, I certainly am not going to be, you know, one of the naysayers or one of the skeptics on the side kind of casting stones. Um, anyone that's taking an active role in this subject, I commend you for the time, the courage to do so. Um, so many people like to sit and hear ghost stories. They, I mean, it's great that they come to the conferences and they listen to the information. They're open minded. I congratulate you for that. But I would encourage you to take the next step. Do something to actively help the research move forward because we have a lot of data, as you and I were discussing during the break, and um, we have to sift through that data. We have to collect new data. We have to start putting this information together. It doesn't help to continue to collect UFO case files if we're not going to start diving into that material and looking for patterns, which is what, as you know, I've done with the triangular UFO subject, really tried to take laser focus and look at this subset of UFO reports. and come to find out we have at least 50 60 70 years worth of these triangular ufo reports so looking for patterns in the data uh anyone that can take the time or effort or like i said if you have lots of money and you know a researcher out there that you like that you want to support financially any assistance can can help you know budge that needle move us forward to have a better understanding of this subject it's funny, you know, on that point that you said anybody who's willing to, you know, kind of dive into their treasury. And and that's kind of the way a lot of us think about it. It's not, you know, there's this, this, this idea out there, especially among some mainstream. I think it's starting to go away that some people in this field do this sort of thing, like writing a book for money. Whereas really, <laughs> for people like you and I, it, it's more of a how much am I going to be able to spend on absolutely. you know this absolutely in fact i'm sitting here in my research room and i you know i, I don't even want to try to mentally add up the amount of money i've spent over 28 years <laughs> of investigating this i'm looking at 16 four four drawer file cabinets on my right and about 10 bookcases on my left and that's just some of the material that i've amassed and uh i don't even want to try to do the math as mm -hmm. far as what i've spent and that's that's counting materials that's not counting Obviously, time in the field that you and I have done, you know, boots in the field, looking and investigating and researching, doing sky watches, doing nighttime vigils in areas where they've had repeated UFO sightings. Um, I don't think people truly appreciate the amount of time and money that UFO researchers spend. And, you know, with maybe very rare exception, do I know anybody that's actually gotten ahead and actually made money as opposed to losing money. Um, but to your point, we don't do it for the money. We do it because we truly believe there is something that needs to be studied. And that's without making any conclusions. All we're simply saying is there is a body of information here that deserves better scrutiny and better understanding. And that's really the only thing that I enter into the subject with is with that mindset that there, where, as I like to say, where there's smoke, there's fire. And there's a hell of a lot of smoke 
regarding this UFO subject, and it deserves, it's, it demands better scrutiny, better scientific understanding. And so with that, that's why I'm passionate, and that's why it's been my mission to try to at least glean a little bit better understanding by sifting through this data and interviewing people and collecting this material. And what's funny, Alejandro, is you know when I wrote my book uh, a number of years ago, I had this naive intent that, well, I've got all this information. I really want to share it with people. What I didn't realize is the amount of information I would receive in response mm. to my book. Um, just within the last week, week and a half, I, I had a gentleman, very nice gentleman, email me from Spain and describe in detail a triangular UFO sighting that he and his uh, girlfriend or wife, I believe, had uh, a number of years ago. But I, I've received emails from Germany, Switzerland, uh, Spain, the UK, uh, all over the world, people wanting to share their reports. And um, I, I wasn't expecting that. Uh, right. I, I thought it was a one-way street that I'm going to provide this information to the public, and I didn't realize how the public would respond with providing additional case files and information. Mm -hmm. I want to get back to something else you just talked about, uh, diving into the information and, and this abundance of information being uh, out there. One of the things I like to design my talks around it, and this is something that you're is looking at cases that have a bunch of information. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and there are so many people are like, well, why do you guys have to rehash this old stuff? It's because there's stuff you don't know about this old stuff. And maybe you could talk about, you were given a compliment recently. <laughs> well, not recently. It was, it was a few years back. Uh, I was at well, a it still applies. <laughs> it still applies, and it's applicable to what we're discussing. Uh, Rich Dolan, uh, after one of my lectures, I can't remember if it was on the Battle of L.A. or the Farmington Flying Saucer Armada of 1950, uh, he came up to me in the lobby after my lecture, and he goes, you know, I really think you found your niche. He goes, you have the unique ability to take a case that we thought we knew about for, for years or decades, and we thought we knew everything, and you do a deeper dive, and you're able to find additional details and information that we didn't know about. And so coming from Rich, you know, I take that as, a, as a, an extreme compliment, but it's true. Uh, and to your point, uh, I, I've often seen criticisms posted about whether it's my Battle of L.A. lecture or the Farmington incident or even people talking about other historical cases that other researchers have investigated. And to your point, they'll make that, that um, criticism. Well, why are we researching these old cases? My God, that happened decades ago. Well, I, I'm here to tell you and I'll give you an exact uh, reason why we investigate some of these cases. Uh, my research into the Farmington Flying Saucer Armada, uh, I tracked down two living witnesses from 1950 that are still alive. One gentleman's 94 years old, still goes to work every day. He's a very successful businessman in Farmington, New Mexico. Um, I've become good friends with him. Uh, some of these witnesses are still around. They're not necessarily in the grave yet. And so it, it's a gross assumption to assume that, well, it's been decades, all those witnesses are, are deceased. No, uh, I interviewed a living witness from the Battle of L.A. incident some years ago when I was first getting involved in that research. Um, but more importantly, with Farmington, there were uh, Air Force Office of Special Investigation files that were declassified a number of decades ago. Uh, and then there were six pages that were still classified in 1985. I came across that with the assistance of Jan Aldridge, and there were OSI files, and there was a sheet from the Air Force intelligence files stating that six pages were restricted from declassification. Well, just within the last five to six months, 
I filed a Freedom of Information Act request and worked with uh, the National Archives, and I was able to get the unredacted documents that were previously classified. And they were only declassified within the last year, year and a half. Mm -hmm. uh, but I had to file a FOIA request to obtain them. So even though this case occurred in 1950, it was only in 2017 that these documents were fully declassified. So that's one of the reasons we investigate these old cases. Sometimes it takes us decades to get our hands on the unredacted documents that provide additional details and insights into what transpired decades ago. Mm -hmm. I think another great example is your research with the Battle of L.A. and that you've been able to uncover photographs. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I have an original photograph from the Battle of L.A., and by that I mean it has the original news teletype stamped and dated February 25th, 1942. The long story short, I obtained that through a gentleman that lived in the greater L.A. area. His wife used to go to yard sales and estate sales, and he would begrudgingly go with her. And one Saturday morning a few years ago, he went to one of these uh, estate sales or yard sales. And while he's waiting for his wife to peruse all the different merchandise that was for sale, he noticed two very large boxes underneath a folding table sitting in the front yard. And he crouched down, starts going through file folder after file folder that was within these file boxes. And in each file folder was an original black and white news photo with the corresponding news teletype glued to the back. And there were Hollywood celebrities, Bing Crosby. There were World War II photos uh, in there. I mean, just a, it was like a time capsule of the, the, the 40s, 1950s, I believe, into the early 1960s. And he asked the woman that was obviously in charge of this yard sale, these are really fascinating. Where did you obtain all these photos? And she said, innocently enough, oh, those belong to my grandfather. He was a photographer with the Associated Press. And lo and behold, out of all the Hollywood photos, out of all the World War II photos, an original copy of the Battle of L.A. photo was there with the original news teletype, which I eventually obtained from this gentleman. So... Again, with the passage of time, as individuals pass away, as their belongings are sold off, we never know where this data is going to come from. Mm -hmm. um, perfect examples of why you need to look at this sort of thing. And I want to also kind of clarify something, because I, I think that self-examination uh, is always important. And I try not to get uh, too wrapped up in social media comments and stuff that people make. But, um, you know... I want to kind of talk about this because I think it's fair and it's something that's probably good for us to talk about is some people will talk about, uh, I get this occasionally, oh, you guys are so egotistical talking about how great your work is, blah, blah, blah. But I would say in a way, uh, I feel this way a bit and perhaps you do too, that we kind of need to justify ourselves in this field because uh, it's, it's not just kind of touting, oh, you know, the way we do it is so great, but just that this sort of look at this material is going to be important for credible research and for the mainstream going forward. And we need to protect it because we're attacked constantly with, oh, we already know Roswell was aliens. We already know aliens are telling us this and aliens are telling us that. We don't know those things. We can't prove no. those things. And so we need to gather this this material like you're doing and this evidence and this great research to, so we can demonstrate that there is a rich, credible history here. 
and, and that's really the fundamental thing I come back to. I, I think I mentioned I, I gave a, a lecture at the University of New Mexico, which I was very honored to be invited to speak there because I'll be donating my research library when I pass uh, to, to the university for long-term preservation. But when I initially approached the university, that's the exact cornerstone of my argument that I used. Whether you relegate the subject to fact, fiction, or folklore, we all have to agree it's part of our culture and thereby it's part of our history. And just like any other aspect of history, it needs to be preserved. And um, so that's what I've tried doing, and that's what UNM will continue to do with this collection when I'm long past. But I completely agree with you. We need to very be we need to be very careful in distinguishing what we know versus what we believe. And I see so much belief within the UFO field. I will concede. I believe there is something to this subject. But I'm beyond that. As we were talking about during the break, Alejandro. I have lots of data. You have lots of data. Data does not necessarily equate to answers. And that's what we're that's what we're looking for. And I would argue if someone wants to criticize your work, if someone wants to criticize my work, do it in a constructive way, not through character assassination, not through just little cheap shots on social media. If you feel that I've made an error in my conclusions or in my research, Please provide constructive criticism because, again, it gets back to what we were alluding to earlier. Participate in this journey. Participate in trying to understand this mystery. Cheap shots and character assassination is not constructive in this field or in any other. Right. If you see that we're making an error, please provide suggestions. And Have you thought about approaching it from this angle? Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not interested in people's opinions. I've had people come up to me. <laughs> Uh, both pro and con saying, oh, you investigate UFOs. I don't believe in UFOs. And I politely but very bluntly state, well, I really don't care what you believe in. Because you know what, Alejandro, it doesn't matter what I believe. It doesn't matter what you believe on a personal level, certainly. But when we're getting up and presenting, it doesn't matter what we believe. All that matters is what we can present in the Mm -hmm. way of evidence, in the way of patterns in the data, in the way of information that bolsters these these preconceived beliefs and let me ask you this if someone said david you got that completely wrong um here's a document that shows that proves my point that here's what really happened and and this is how you have it wrong how would you feel if someone brought that to you i'm complete I'm, i'm an objective researcher if you have compelling information that can prove demonstrably that i'm wrong i'll accept it the yeah. difference is the difference is with some researchers out there, unlike yourself and myself, we, we do have jobs. We do have lives outside the subject. Our whole existence is not predicated on believing in the UFO subject. And so it's not going to change my life in any way, shape or form. If you can prove in fact, Alejandro, I have an example. Uh, the fan, the famous January 5th, 2000 incident involving multiple police officers in Southern Illinois citing this triangular UFO. I've had many people on the internet and personally tell me, well, that was just military. Well, that's great that you say that. Do you have anything to back that up? And I concede it might be military. In fact, I did an interview with Daryl Barker, a friend and colleague of mine who did a wonderful independent documentary on that case because he was actively involved in that case as well. And that's, in fact, how we met many years ago in 2000, 2001. And I believe it was in, I'm trying to think now, I believe it was 2005 or 2010 I did an introduction for his revised documentary and stated that many people claim that 
this object was military. And I concede it's a possibility. It's actually the most probable explanation uh, when you look at things uh, equally. Um, but I stated at that time, again, this would be 2005, 2010, mm -hmm. that I concede that that might be a possibility. But when you look at the shelf life of aircraft, you know, you're looking maybe 10 to 15 years. Like you're the B2 running out of time, by the way. Okay. If you look at that, in another five years, 10 years, 20 years down the line, are we still going to cling to that explanation? Because certainly whatever existed in 2000 that was state-of-the-art has been surpassed and built upon. And mm -hmm. we, I would think that that technology would have been declassified 10, 20 years later. You know, and I'm going to go so far as to assume this because I know you and I think this would be the case that you would feel similar with that I do. If someone brought you a document that showed – Actually, there was a top secret project going on. I've got a, uh, a document that shows here's when the testing was done and there was testing on that day. Not only would you not be upset, you would be so excited and happy Absolutely. and it would be in your next lecture. I Absolutely. love coming across that stuff. Absolutely. I mean, please the, the, correct me. I want to yeah. be corrected because I want the facts. As long as we have credible information that presents that, then the. You know, the facts are the facts. That's mm -hmm. how I look at it. Uh, right. Whatever direction that they, they lead to or point to. Yeah. And absolutely, because you know what? At that point, I'm not going to waste any more time on this right. case. Right. And I think that's fascinating, too. To me, un unveiling some of these secret programs or, or these technologies are, are almost as equally exciting because it's like, wow, look, we did have – this, let's say, you know, we find out we the Phoenix Lights was this gigantic, you know, triangular craft because we did have something like that that we were working on. It's That's still an cool. incredible story. Yeah, it's still a great story. So we're out of time. Um, what do you have coming up? Are you, you working on a new book? Uh, do you have something to plug? Well, I, I'm working on a new book, but it, it's going to be long and coming, uh, like I said, with, with, with full-time job and family and other things. But uh, I'm really trying to consolidate all my research on the Farmington incident uh, from 1950 into a, a small book uh, because I have come across new information, new evidence, and I've been able to weave together the research of Barry Greenwood uh, in conjunction with some information that I've uncovered. I've also gone to the University of Arizona uh, in resurrected some of Dr. James McDonald's investigative notes on that case, which many people haven't seen. So trying to weave all of that together in addition to the newspaper research I've done at UNM going through the microfilm. And ho hopefully we'll put together a nice little book that kind of uh, sheds new light on that case and maybe gives a little bit more uh, uh, exposure to what was really transpiring uh, during those three days in 1950, March of 1950. So uh, actively working on that as well as some other projects as well. All right. Well, time absolutely flew as usual. Thank you so much for coming on the show again, and we'll see you soon in Wyoming. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Alejandro. See you soon. Thank you so much to David Marler for joining us on the show. He is absolutely awesome. I'm a big, 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 big fan. So uh, check out his webpage. We'll, of course, have a, a link in the show notes. And uh, check out his book if you haven't, Triangular UFOs. Very, very, very good book. You can also see a link to that in the show notes as well. Um, which reminds me, if you're watching on YouTube, please do subscribe. Also, if you want to see when we post videos, which you do because it's good stuff, dude, uh, click that little bell down there that you see uh, and you'll be sure to be notified. You, you might not be aware that just because you subscribe doesn't mean you'll be notified when, you're gonna, uh, when we post a new video anymore. It used to be that way, I think, but it's not anymore. 
Anyway, some updates before we go. Uh, OpenMinds.tv, if you go there, you're going to be able to see all of that news that Martin and I talked about at the beginning of the show. You're also going to be able to see uh, some of the stories and stuff that we have up there. One of the things that I have up there that's new is this video, What's the Deal with the Space Force? So, of course, we've talked about that before, but this gets into detail about the background of the Space Force. And what's cool about this, too, is this is on my new YouTube page because I'm going to be doing some non-UFO stuff. And so I'm going to be posting more videos there that are going to be uh, reviews and news and other stuff that's just going to be able to help you out with your life. You can also at openminds.tv, of course, get a link to uh, the store, the UFO Congress store and the uh, Open Minds t-shirt stores. And then uh, find those posters that Martin and I talked about, about those extraterrestrial tourism uh, posters that Orbit is promoting. Very, very cool posters. You got to at least look at them. They're really neat. And uh, you can also get on our email list. We just sent out an email late last week. Uh, We send those out every two weeks for the most part. So there's a big blue box for stay up to date that uh, you can get on the email list. You can also get on the email list at ufocongress.com. I would highly, highly recommend it because we just have tons and tons of new stuff in there. So it's just one shot. You get to see everything that's new uh, that's out there in, in one shot. So really cool. Also, I want to promote some of the stuff that I'm up to. If you go to my patron site, and you'll see a link to that at the, at the top right of uh, openminds.tv or just, like I said, go to Patreon. And, and Google me. Um, what's cool about this, I like referring to my site because it shows all the other stuff I'm doing. So we went to Sabu 10. That's actually this anime conference uh, for a minute. It's at the hotel that we're going to be at for the UFO Congress. And that's really why we were there. But they were doing this anime thing, which I'm really into. And they were doing cosplay. So all these people in their and their outfits, I took some pictures and I made a video. So you can see some cosplay if you're into that sort of thing. Also for uh, the UFO Congress, I talked about this before, but we're posting free videos that you're not going to be able to see anywhere else on the UFO Congress YouTube page. And when we get to a thousand subscribers, which we might even be there. I've got to go check. We're very close. We're going to be doing some giveaways. T-shirt, glow-in-the-dark alien hat, rocks. So you got to check that out. Of course, I mentioned Devil's Tower UFO Rendezvous. We've got a link to that in our email and also on my Patreon site. And I think I've told you everything there is to know. So um, a couple, about those videos on the UFO Congress site, by the way, we have a David Hatcher Childress one that you're not going to see anywhere else. Of course, he's on the TV show Ancient Aliens. And we also have one from Tracy Torme, who was the screenwriter and producer of Fire in the Sky, the Travis Walton story. So it's uh, him talking about it. Very rare video and also a Q&A. But that is everything. So thank you very much to David Marler again. Thank you to Caleb Hanks uh, for the opening and close music. Uh, Remember his brother, Micah Hanks, who is also awesome. He is going to be at the uh, Devil's Tower conference as well. And also uh, Chris O'Brien is going to be there and that's going to be our next guest. So check it out. We're going to have some really important new info from him on the next podcast. Uh, Thank you to Martin for helping me out with the news at the beginning. Check him out on Podcast UFO. And thank you for Systematics uh, for the bumper music. And, of course, as usual, thank you, the listener, for joining us again. And we'll talk to you next week. Until then, adios, muchachos.